Good evening. Oh, thank you. Good evening. Welcome to Wednesday Evening Chapel. As for me and my house, uh, let's say the whole phrase together. I, I, I realized this morning that you guys have been shorting, get, gotten sh the short end of the deal. You only get to say half of it. So together, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's our privilege to, uh, yes, uh, whatever is happening here. It's our privilege to um, participate in this third of the DeLong Sermon Series. Um, the preacher of the evening is Scott Campbell. Scott made the trip from Richmond, Virginia uh, to be able to be a part of our chapel service this evening. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, Scott is married to Melanie. They have two children, Madeline Faith and Landon Isaiah. Madeline's three and a half, Landon's two. Uh, actually, they live in a town called Louisiana, Virginia. They are the voluntary children's pastors at the Richmond West End Church of the Nazarene in Richmond, Virginia. They're right over here. Would you welcome them? As I've explained before, and I, I want to explain again, uh, the folks who participate in the DeLong Sermon Series are nominated for the possibility by their Christian two preaching professors. Um, everyone who's nominated has an opportunity to submit a manuscript. Those who submitted a manuscript, then um, those manuscripts are evaluated by a group of faculty persons, and the folks who then preach uh, during this series are those whose manuscripts deemed, were deemed worthy of the honor. And Scott is going to uh, preach the word in a, in a few minutes. Uh, he will graduate in December 2008, well, 2009, completing his studies in 2008. He is called to pastoral ministries primarily, uh, the opportunity to serve as a full-time pastor, lead pastor in a church uh, when that day arrives. So, Scott, if you'd come, I want to present this certificate to you. We want to recognize your participation in the long sermon series on this second day of May uh, 2007. We're glad you're here. We're glad you and Melanie have made the trip, and we're looking forward to your ministry of the word. Thanks very much. As Dr. Like said, I have, uh, my wife and I have two children. The oldest, her name is uh, Madeline, three and a half years old, and uh, the youngest, Landon, two years old. And uh, it has been, a, been our custom ever since uh, Madeline was, she began to talk, she's two and a half, or, or probably one and a half, 18 months, something like that, that uh, she said the evening prayers, or not evening prayers, but our, our dinner prayers before we'd have, we'd have dinner. And uh, very often they were very short, very simple, very to the point, be the kind of things, you know, Lord, thank you for food, amen. And that was the extent of them. And uh, as she's grown a little older, they've gotten a little more complex. The day before, or a couple days before we left, we were having uh, dinner with my folks. And um, her prayer was, thank you for the food. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for, we were able to get my bike here so people can fix it. She was concerned <laughs> that the people was going to be able to fix her bike. And so she's gotten a little more complex in, in her prayers, a little, a little better at them. But uh, Landon has picked it up, and uh, he's uh, still a little bit younger, so he hasn't quite picked up the vocalization. So his prayers are, are usually... Uh, something unintelligible, we can't understand what it is, and then he just goes, Amen! And that's the end of it. So, we're, could be Pentecostal, he could be praying in tongues, we're not sure, but whatever it is, we're glad that he's praying. 
But as I said, a lot of times prayers for children are very simple and to the point. And I got a couple here that I'd like to read for you of uh, some children's prayers that I found over, the, over some time and things. Um, Dear God, please send a new baby for mommy. The new baby you sent last week cries too much. It's Debbie, age seven. Dear God, who did you make smarter, boys or girls? My sister and I want to know. J Jimmy, age six. Dear Lord, thank you for the nice day today. You even fooled the TV weatherman. <laughs> Dear God, please help me in school. I need help in spelling, adding, history, geography, and writing. I don't need help in anything else. <laughs> Dear God, do you have any helpers in heaven? I would like to be one of your helpers in heaven when I have summer vacation. <laughs> Dear God, I need a raise in my allowance. Could you have one of your angels tell my father? <laughs> and finally, dear God, I'm saying my prayers for me and my brother Billy, because Billy is six months old and he can't do anything but sleep and wet his diapers. Because <laughs> we hear some of those prayers, They're, some of them are very interesting, very funny, and some of them very, uh, very emotional, very uh, kind of tug at your heartstrings, very nice to hear. But um, that's not the way that God has intended us for intended for us to use the tool of prayer. God wants us to use prayer to mature as Christians. I am convinced that too many Christians, though, do not use prayer the way that God has intended. The only times that many Christians pray is when they are about to have a meal or when they're facing a crisis. So what I want to share with you this evening is one believer's prayer and then how he grew from it. The text tonight is um, from 1 Kings chapter 3 verses 3 through 14. And it is here that we see uh, King Solomon arriving in the high place of Gibeon to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And uh, I'll be reading from the New King James, but it should be close enough if you have other versions. Um, 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 3 through 14. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he has walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on this throne, as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or how to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be, count to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? This speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. When God then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before, nor shall there like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there shall be not anyone like you among the kings all of your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. It is such a great light to us to reveal so many things to us, Lord. 
You've given it to us as a way that we can come to you, that we can come to know you better, and that we can, we can grow in our faith, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that that is what you've encouraged for us to do. That's what you've provided for us to do, Lord. And we just ask this night that you would remove any distractions that may be here, Lord. Help us to, to focus not on the, the surroundings, the situation, the people around us, but to focus on you and your word, Lord, so that we can receive what are the message that you've intended for us to hear. Lord, every word that we hear from, from, you, from, from the Bible, from your word, is something spoken directly to us, something that we need to hear, Lord. And we just ask tonight that you open up our, our ears and our hearts and our spirits to receive that. Lord, we give you praise and honor for what you're going to do and the changes that you're going to make. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Our text begins by giving us a small description of what kind of person Solomon is and what it is that he's doing. This is significant because it sets the stage for Solomon to be able to receive the fullest blessing from the Lord. We see in verse 3, walked. Walked according or walking according to the statutes of his father David. First thing we see in this passage is that Solomon loved God. This is evidenced in two ways. The first way that the writer says that Solomon loved God was because he walked according to the statutes of his father David. We already know that David was a man as being described as being after God's own heart. David lived his life with an unchangeable belief in the faithful and forgiving nature of God. He lived with great enthusiasm in the Lord. And although he sinned many times, he was always very quick to confess those sins. And then his confessions were always from the heart and were followed with genuine repentance. He never took God's forgiveness lightly, nor did he take his blessings for granted. Finally, David expressed joy in the Lord, even when facing the consequences of his actions. These were some of the major qualities that David exhibited and that Solomon emulated. Have you ever heard the, uh, the phrase that an apple doesn't fall too far from the tree? Meaning that kids end up being a lot like their parents. And that is certainly the, certainly the case here. Many of the things that Solomon did were things that his father David did also, both good and bad. So we see that, that Solomon kept in line with the will of the Lord. So much so that what was Solomon's will was also God's will for him. But we're going to cover, cover that more later. The second thing we see in verse 4 was that he worshipped. He, he offered a thousand bur burnt offerings. Next thing that we read about Solomon doing is offering sacrifices to the Lord. In doing this, Solomon is essentially stating two things again. First, he is conscious of the fact that he needs the Lord with him in order to carry out the duties that are before him. The second thing he's doing is clearly setting the example for the people that we are going to follow the Lord, that he is going to be a priority in our lives. But there was a problem, however, in what Solomon was doing. God had stated earlier in Deuteronomy 12 that the people were not just to choose any place to worship. God was going to choose the places that his people were to worship him. That was in order to keep purity in the act of worship. Now in his mind, Solomon probably thought that it was okay to worship at these high places. They didn't yet have a temple that they could do it in. And he probably figured that what was important was that he was worshiping, not so much the place that he was worshiping. And unfortunately, though, he was only partially right. God recognized the genuineness of his heart and wanted to meet Solomon in his worship, but could not because of his direct disobedience. God instead chose to honor Solomon's prayer, but not condone the sacrifice. He did this by coming to him during the night in what is described as a dream. In all actuality, it would have been like a vision, something what Isaiah had experienced before, because it was a conversation between Solomon and the Lord. And it is because of Solomon's life and worship that God is able to make him, or is about to make him, such an incredible offer. The next verses are followed by are the responses of both God's and then Solomon's. They are the recorded conversation between the two of them. We have seen that through his worship, Solomon desired to have a conversation with God. He didn't simply want to talk to God, he wanted God to talk back to him. 
This back and forth dialogue, dialogue is what makes it a conversation. God's initial request then is in response to Solomon's worship. The next, what we see there is God's, God's response. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Verse 5, the end of it. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. At the end of verse 5, we see God initially offer Solomon, or essentially offer Solomon a blank check. He says to him, ask me for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear this statement, I'm blown away. Doesn't, how could God say such a thing? How could he make such an offer to a man? Doesn't he realize that we're human and that our first thoughts are, are not of others? They're often of ourselves and things that we could, we could gain and grow ourselves. But God does know that. And the answer is yes, he does know that. He does know us. He knows us, our wants and our needs and our desires, probably even more so than we know them ourselves. But what makes the situation different is that Solomon is extremely close to the Lord. And as I stated earlier, their wills were together. And this is why God can give such an invitation to Solomon, because he already knows what it is that he will ask for. The next four verses show Solomon's response to God's offer. The writer, the writer reveals to us the mind of Solomon and how he comes to the decision of what to ask for. First is his heritage, verse 6, my father David. Solomon begins by grounding himself in the work that God has already done in his life. He spends this time by praising both God and his earthly father. On two occasions in this verse, he refers to God's great kindness. This is in recognition to the way which the Lord has blessed his life up to this point. The rest of the verse, he spends recognizing and praising his father, probably in the hopes of being able to imitate him in all that he does. What I mean is that Solomon sees the benefits of a, living a godly life just like his father did. And that is obviously very high in his mind. His father David was someone that he very much admired and wanted to be like. And although trying to fill those enormous shoes of his father was probably a daunting task, task it was one that Solomon met with excitement. Excitement that it could be done. And after spending so much time praising the Lord and remembering his father, Solomon no doubt felt minuscule and insignificant. This is what leads him to make his next statement. Humility, verse 7. I am only a little child. Solomon next exhibits humility in both the fact that he is king and that he is only a child. Solomon didn't mean here that he was too young. He was about 20, but that he was inexperienced. First, he is amazed that God would bestow on him such a high and lofty position as king. Secondly, he did not know how to carry out the day-to-day -day duties of, of being a king. He is admitting to God his, his inability to lead these people and saying that he must and will be dependent on God to see him through it. Help, verse 8. He says, A great people, too numerous to count. Now Solomon begins to seem a little overwhelmed. He realizes that he's not only king, but that he is the king to the nation. He is the king to God's people. As if this would not have been enough pressure, he also realizes that the people are too numerous to even count. And it's here that Solomon begins to completely take in the entirety of the task that God has laid upon him. But his reaction, though, doesn't really seem like he's being overwhelmed by it. So he quietly and calmly just takes it all in and then answers God, God's question. Verse 9, his higher values. Give your servant a discerning heart. After all that he's been through, Solomon could have asked for safety for himself. He could have asked for assurance that he would remain king. He could have asked for money or he could have asked for wealth. He could request the death or destruction of his enemies. Solomon could have asked for military strength or protection from other nations. He could have asked for any number of these things or things that you and I might have never even thought of. But instead, he makes one simple request, one that would have far greater impact on the people, on the Lord's people. He asks for a discerning heart. What he wants is wisdom. 
far above his own ambitions, Solomon wants to be able to lead well and make the right decisions for the people. What he wanted was not intellectual genius, but rather skill to live according to God in life, in relationships, and in moral integrity. He truly recognized the grandeur of God's mission for him, and he truly saw the people with love and compassion. He saw the people through the eyes of God. At the end of it all, we see that, that God was pleased with Solomon's unselfish request. So much so, in fact, that he not only answered his prayer and gave him wisdom, more than anyone would ever have, but he also unconditionally added to that riches and honor, so that he would never have any equal. Solomon, then, Solomon gives us a great example of what prayer means, what it is, and how to effectively do it. He sets aside three guidelines that if we were to follow, we can see an increase in the, effective, in the effectiveness of our own prayer lives, and we will eventually see our own maturation, our own maturing, as a Christian. The first thing that prayer is, is prayer is conversational. First of all, our prayer needs to be conversational. God is not a genie in a bottle. that We just rub and make our requests whenever we need something. The God we seek for answers is the same God that has provided for our salvation. I don't need to remind you that he allowed his only son to die for you. That is an incredible amount of love. I know people who love me a lot less than that, and I still enjoy talking to them. It should be no different with the Lord. He wants to have a conversation with you. Just like he would walk and talk with Adam in the garden, he desires to do the same with you. The moment we lessen our relationship with God to a simple request and subsequent thanks is the same moment that we have lost sight of the power that we have available to us through that relationship. I'll read it again because I believe it's important. The moment we lessen our relationship with God to a simple request and subsequent thanks is the same moment that we have lost sight of the power that we have available to us through that relationship. The other side of that is that a lot of the time we need to do less running of our mouths and more listening. If you knew someone who was an expert in a field in which you were seeking advice, wouldn't you sit and listen to them instead of just talking the entire time? I would think that you would. God is the same, except that he is an expert in every field. He's not like those people who claim to be experts in every field but know very little. God is an expert in every field. If you have a question about anything, dating, you can ask him. Work, you can ask him. About friends, you can ask him. About decisions in life, about where to go, what to do. Any of those questions you can ask, he wants to be asked. He wants to answer them for you. I could go on with the list endlessly, but the point I want you to get is that God wants you to speak to him, and then he wants you to listen to him. He also says that prayer is dependent on our walk. Next, we need to be sure that we are walking with the Lord consistently. This has everything to do with the way in which we conduct ourselves on a day-to-day -day basis. We need to devote ourselves to the disciplines of prayer, to the disciplines of Bible reading and doing devotionals and then fasting. We need to support each other and we need to care for the needy. It doesn't matter which one of those disciplines we're doing, but we need to be doing them as we're walking with the Lord. If we're spending time with Him as we should be, then we will learn to know His mind. And our requests for ourselves will be the same as the ones that He would have for us. If for some reason our wills are not the same, though, we need to recognize that ultimately it is his will, but not ours that be done. Isaiah tells us that his wills are higher than ours. The third thing is that prayer is dependent on our worship. Closely tied to our daily walk is our worship. Now, I don't mean sitting here on, on, at church on Sunday mornings or at chapel during the week and singing a few songs. There's much more to worship than that. The word most commonly used for worship in the Hebrew and both the Greek means to prostrate oneself, literally to lay down in worship before the Lord. Essentially, this means laying down your life. It means living a lifestyle of worship through obedience to God. 
This cannot be applied on a general level over a lifetime. It must be applied on a daily, moment-by-moment -moment level and decision. This is why I like the passage in Luke so much. Let us t take up your cross daily and follow me. Luke is the only one that adds that word daily. He's the only one that conveys that worship, obedience, is a lifestyle, is a choice, not an activity. The next thing that Solomon shows us is what should be a part of our prayers if we do intend to mature. We should remember our heritage. In, fo in following Solomon's example, the first thing we need to incorporate into our prayers is grounding ourselves in who we are. For him, it meant looking, to the, looking at what God had done in his life and his father's influence. For us, it is our heritage, our heritage is identifying ourselves as who we are in Christ. Brother Rick shared some of this with us last night. We are a new creation. The old is gone. In Christ, we are brand new. That is certainly worth remembering. The rest of the New Testament is full of statements like this. Roman tells us that we are alive in Christ and that we are no longer condemned because we are in him. Galatians says that we are sons of God through faith in Christ, and then goes on to say that we have freedom in Christ. This is who we now are. Our identity in Christ is our heritage. Our recognition of this is the first step towards maturing. Next, we must act in humility. After we understand who we are in Christ, we then need to move on to a time of personal reflection where we admit our own weaknesses. This is the point where we really claim our dependency upon God. This is the part where we cry out to God, I need you. I am unable to do this. It is at this moment of weakness that we gain true strength. The tendency is to not to want to admit our inabilities. But the thing is that God already knows them. He knows your struggle. He knows your weaknesses. So really all we're doing is admitting them to ourselves that we do know them and that we need help in those areas. Our admittance of our inability is the next step of our maturing. Thirdly, we ask for help. We are called to a task for God. You are called to a task for God. Whether that task is pastoring a church, whether it's traveling to a foreign land as a missionary, or whether it is witnessing to the coworker in the cubicle next to you, God has given you a task. He has called you to do something. But the task that you've been called to is too great for you to do alone. It must be accomplished with God's help. Years ago, my mom said to me, it never hurts to ask. The worst that can be said is no. And for some reason, that's something that has always stuck with me. And I consider it, or I think about it, before I, before I ask almost any question. And there's many times that I've received a no, but I believe that there are far more times that I've received a yes. This simple comment needs to be applied to our spiritual lives as well. We need to just ask of God. This Jesus tells us to ask, and it will be given to you. God's desire is for us to have things like knowledge, patience, love, and wisdom. His desire is for us to mature and to grow as Christians. But unless we ask for these things, how are we going to receive them? Finally, the fourth thing, we seek higher values. The final thing we need to do then is see the world and its people in them as God sees them. We already know that the ten, what the Ten Commandments says, but then Jesus sets a higher standard of living. He challenges, challenges us that even a lustful look is the same as adultery, that hatred is the same as murder. He also informs us that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. As you can see, the bar just keeps getting set higher and higher. But higher values means more than just doing to others, doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. In John 15, he tells us and challenges us to love one another as I have loved you. Amen. He then goes on to explain fully what this means. What he's pushing us towards is the laying down of our own lives for others. This is truly seeing people as God intends for us to see them. This is truly seeing people as God sees them. Not only is that a much higher value than we are accustomed to, but it is also necessary for us to be able to mature. 
Solomon experienced a great encounter with the Lord. But that encounter was no accident. It was intentional on Solomon's part. He went to the high place expecting that God would meet him there. He did not go into this expecting something for nothing though. He knew that if the Lord was going to meet with him, he had to first of all live according to his commandments. Once Solomon was sure that he was living under God's law, he knew that he could continue with the sacrificial offering. It was at this point that all of Solomon's hard work paid off. The Lord came to him with an incredible offer. When faced with a decision to make then, Solomon prayerfully considered all the facts and through his conversation with the Lord, saw his own shortcomings and then asked God to fill in the gap. If we're going to encounter the Lord, we must also come expecting it. And this doesn't mean just getting ready for church on Sunday morning. This means preparing to meet with him all throughout the week. We do this by obeying his, his commands on Monday while at work or while at school. On Wednesday while driving to church. On Friday when, when planning to go out. And on every other day in between we need to obey the commands of the Lord. If we have done this, then when the time comes for the Lord to meet with us, we will truly be changed forever. Through our prayerful conversation with God, our weaknesses will be revealed and he will already be prepared to fill in the gaps of our Christian life. He says, I have given you a wise and understanding heart. God had that prepared to give to him. God has prepared to give you what you need to succeed and to mature in whatever ministry it is that he's called you to. If we follow the example that Solomon has set, God wants to meet with us. He wants to talk with us. He wants to give us the things that will enable us. As the worship team comes up and prepares to close us, I'm not going to, to give an altar call tonight. That may be the custom, but today's a little different. Tomorrow is uh, the National Day of Prayer. So for our altar call tonight, I want you to remember these words, the words of, from the Word of God here, the words that are spoken. Let them seep into your heart this evening. Let them seep into your spirit. And then tomorrow morning at your bedside is where we'll have our altar call. I challenge you tomorrow morning to begin it on the National Day of Prayer, to begin it at the bedside, on your knees, praying to the Lord. Follow the example that Solomon has set. Realize who you are in Christ. Realize you are unable to accomplish what he's asked you to accomplish. Realize that you have a ministry, something he has called you to do. And then realize the level of love that he wants you to have for other people. Our families need prayer. Our churches need prayer. Our schools need prayer. Our communities need prayer. Our nation needs prayer. I encourage you and challenge you tomorrow morning to begin it in prayer to the Lord. Lord, as we close tonight, we just want to say thank you for your word. Thank you for what you teach us. Thank you for what you've revealed to us. And Lord, so many times, so much information flies by so quickly. But Lord, allow it to seep into our hearts. Allow it to seep into our spirit. Call up things in the evening as we go home. And as, and as we lay our heads down, and as we sleep, to remember these things. Or as we lift our heads in the morning, to remember a commitment to prayer. To remember that you called us to this. And that you've provided it as a way that we can mature. As a way that our families and that our nation can grow, Lord. We thank you for the impact that we're going to be able to have tomorrow morning. Lord, we praise you and we love you in all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.